assholes. Hello, and welcome to the Four Color Nerds Comics Podcast, episode 77. I'm Christina, and I'm back. And I'm joined by the other nerds, Rory. Hey. Carissa. I'm back too, hi. <laughs> and Ryan. I'm still here. <laughs> Together we take on this week's comics. Each week we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now, go read your week's books, and come on back. Each week one of us picks their favorite book, and that's our pick of the week. This week I am that nerd. This week the pick of the week goes to Baby number one our companion song is little earthquakes by tori amos because that was a weird creepy freaking song the way it starts out and i was like i think this is a good companion song if you're reading this and it kind of sounds like a teenager in horrible like dramatic episodes isn't that like every tori amos song kind of yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's take a listen forgot i want to be introduced now as cyborg carissa cyborg carissa. <laughs> we can rebuild her we have the technology i for one welcome our robotic overlords <laughs> join the cybernetic clan here i'm rebuilt too i think it sucks that i didn't get any like actual superpowers i just got one leg that's four inches smaller than the freaking other <laughs> oh i get enhanced hearing <laughs> but is that just regular hearing for deaf people oh yeah. gee, thanks <laughs> no there's an app I can like adjust it to angles and stuff. I just want to hear just behind me and weird. Oh, crap that's like creepy that. as shit. Okay, no, you are bionic. And it's Bluetooth, so I can stream my music to it, and no one knows that I'm listening to music. Whoa, are you kidding me? Okay, that's freaking awesome. No, you totally are bionic. You are a cyborg. Holy shit! Okay, that is awesome. Put in a good word when Skynet takes over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want my Shadowrun stuff. <laughs> All right, so Baby Teeth, issue number one, Aftershock Comics, Mother of God, written by Danny Cates, pencils and inks by Danny Brown, colors by Mark Inglert. I love me some Aftershock. The guy who did this is also the guy who did Redneck, which I actually didn't read, but would have liked good. to have read. Yeah, I know. I missed out on that one, but I will take that back on at some point. So this is a story about a poor kid, pregnant, no dad, nothing. She doesn't freaking tell anybody. It kind of had a little almost a Juno vibe to it, I was thinking, mm -hmm. where she like hid the pregnancy, like she wore oversized clothes. She still did her, try to be somewhat, I guess, normal. The story opens up. She's actually telling the story herself. She is the narrator through the whole thing. And the reason she's actually the narrator is she's actually recording the story of how she got pregnant and a little bit of her life for her child. You see her recording in a very unusual kind of run down it's kind of ruins we don't even know where she is but she's run down she's using her cell phone to record so a little bit of the story she has not told anybody she has only told her sister so nobody else knows so that's why she's hiding the pregnancy she gets kind of found out in a really shitty shitty way her sister's not so friendly friends who were actually looking for her sister see that she's reading something they're like hey you know were you reading your comic books again and find out she's reading the infamous what to expect when you're expecting which i was like wow i was like do they get any sort of you know, money from that <laughs> or soon <laughs> being that what to expect when you're expecting oh it's satan spoiler alert if you haven't figured it out <laughs> i like the parts where she was like your dad wasn't around much which i took to be her brief flirtation with the devil exactly <laughs> It happens. We all go through that phase. We all go through the Satan phase. You're like, he's so cool. Such he's a, a rebel. bad boy. <laughs> Such a rebel. He's an old soul. Really old soul. <laughs> Dark old soul. Snazzy dresser. <laughs> Throughout her whole pregnancy, she hasn't had any problems, which is unusual. She's a young kid. And then all of a sudden, she starts actually having horrible, horrible contractions that also seem to coincide with fucking earthquakes at the same time. Oh, come on. It's a 5.0. I know. The first one. That might sound intimidating for anybody that lives outside of California, but to everybody that lives in the Bay Area, we're like... Oh, that's it. But that's just the first one. She said they got, that's where it started. Exactly. The first one is a 5.0. And if you ever gone into labor, they only get worse from there. <laughs> just let me tell you. Oddly enough, I have not gone into labor. <laughs> just saying, okay? I'll be that voice. 
when her water breaks, <laughs> it's rivers of blood. Yeah, gushing blood. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. She gets to the point where she's blacking out. It's kind of interesting how they do it, where it kind of reminds me of a dreamscape, where it almost looks like rivers of hell-ish kind of looking. The coloring to it looks. Then all of a sudden, it starts like coming back, and she sees the light, and she comes back, and she wakes up, and baby has now evacuated her body, for lack of a better term. <laughs> <laughs> and then the earthquakes just stop and everything is fine. One of the images in here that I love, and this is what totally reminded me of it, and it's Aftershock. So I was like, is this like a nod? The baby has black eyes and it immediately reminded me of black eyed kids. That's what That's I, thought I was going to say that. Mm -hmm. Is this a tie in to that? <laughs> Probably not, but I like that it kind of almost seemed like it was a nod being they're both Aftershock books. Well, I think just like with Black Eyed Kids, how they, they say the eyes are the windows to the soul, mm -hmm. same kind of thing. This little Antichrist probably does not actually have a soul, so. Right, right. <laughs> well, at first I was like, oh, that baby's drawn so cute. Oh, no way. Wait, no. <laughs> Come on, it's a baby, you know, it's got to be evil. <laughs> I do appreciate, I thought this was very cute because they do have a nod in the beginning to where she obviously reads comic books. So she's kind of a nerd like we are talking about comic books, of course. She's listening to our podcast. Uh, she could be, who knows? <laughs> We're reviewing you. We take no responsibility <laughs> for the devil contacting True. her. That is not our fault. <laughs> but she names the kid Clark, which her parents, who obviously now know because her sister took to the hospital and of course is going to rat on her because you have to, kind of, she's 16, names the child Superman. And her dad's like, oh, after your great-grandfather. And she's like, yeah, totally. In her brain, she's like, Superman, Clark Kent, yeah. I like that line, how you were mentioning that the earthquake stopped when she was born so she's like literally with your first breath you saved the world no you did not save the world <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's how a mom's going to twist it to think that way. Of course. This is her first time being pregnant. She probably doesn't know that anything is unusual. She thought bad timing. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> It just so happened that I happened to start feeling contractions when the earthquake happened. Maybe that triggered that. Who knows? She's not going to know. She probably didn't even finish reading the book, What to Expect, What You're Expecting. I mean, so the story ends. To me, I thought this was a really interesting foreshadowing of where this book is going to go. I mean, she mentions a little bit. She ran into this crazy guy who was saying, your child is the son of Ash, the final son, like all of this kind of stuff. And the, the last page of the book, it's very cool because it's a pulled out shot of where she actually is and you see that she's in ruins in Palestine and then she's kind of her last line of what her recording is is like in a year I'll be gone so I thought that was really cool are we gonna get some biblical shit here I'm really excited <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure we are. <laughs> I was really excited about that. I thought that, that was very, very cool. I'm excited to see where this story will go. I want to see some biblical-sized shit happening. I enjoyed it a lot. I thought the art was really good. I thought the story was really interestingly told through her eyes, and she's still a kid, and I thought the wording did make her still actually sound like a kid, not necessarily adult writing it, so I enjoyed that a lot. What would you guys think? I liked it. The artwork was really good. I liked the story. Pacing was a little bit off for me. I, I would have liked a little more progression. But I mean, it was definitely enough to wet my whistle. I like when she started recording at the beginning. She had to stop and start again a few times. <laughs> felt it made it more realistic. But no, it definitely caught my interest. I was curious to see what was going to happen. I like that they kept the more human motherly instincts to her at the beginning. I feel like it's going to spiral and go crazy later. We'll see a lot of crazy stuff. But I think that gives a lot of relatableness to the, the reader at first to her. Yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting. The artwork is definitely not a style that I like. But I think it fits pretty well and they are able to get good expressions out of that artwork so it works okay i think the story gives me enough to be interested so i probably will read further ones i thought it was a nice little peek behind the curtain we're just going to only show you a little bit so you're not going to see the kid being satan you're not going to see any of the horrible things that he does but we're going to allude to them in the first issue I think that's good to build the horror and otherworldliness step by step yeah, by step. Definitely yeah. agree. This was my pick of the week. I rated it four and a half Superman. I liked it. A little bit off on the pacing for me, but I mean, it seems like it's good. Definitely something that I'd want to see what's going on the next couple issues. I'll give it three and a half bitch-ass earthquakes. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna give it four heart-chested teddy bears. I will give it three and a half what to expect when you're expecting the devil. <laughs> Somebody should write that book right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I am taking us over to DC 
for Batman number 24 from DC Comics, for Every Epilogue is a Prelude, written by Tom King, pencils by David Finch, inks by Danny Mika, colors by Jordi Belair. So this issue of Batman, plot-wise, there aren't any big superhero fights. This is a break between the last arc we had and what's going to be the War of Jokes and Riddles. So this is kind of a almost a standalone issue. And in this, it's an exploration of what it means to be Batman, what it means to be a hero, what you want and what you can have. And at the end, there's kind of a really big reveal that is probably going to have effects throughout Batman for a long time. So it starts out with Batman and Claire having these really very good conversations back and forth where Claire is kind of looking for Batman to tell her what to do, whether to continue to be a superhero or not be a superhero. She keeps asking Batman these questions and Batman ends up, as he's trying to advise her and what to do with her life, ends up becoming kind of introspective as he's answering them too. And he explains that he isn't Batman because he likes being Batman. He's Batman because he is Batman. That he can't stop doing it because it's not a costume that he puts on. The costume is essentially Bruce Wayne here. Which I thought that was a really neat little exchange there and insight into why the Batman is what he is. And he says that being Batman doesn't make him happy. And he tries to be happy, but he always fails because he's seen the horror of what Gotham can do. And then he doesn't name the person by name and he says, I've seen what he can do. And if you've seen what he can do and you're not afraid, you're insane. And I mean, obviously referring to the Joker, in my opinion, that's who he's talking about there. And he says he's not insane, but then he stops himself halfway through that sentence and says, I don't want to be insane, which I thought was a really cool little insight there for Batman to realize he's pretty crazy <laughs> to dress up like a bat and leap off of buildings and fight muggers in alleyways and do all the things he does. You've got to be psychologically damaged. So all these conversations he's had with Claire about what it means to be a hero and if you should dedicate your life to this and the fact that he's never happy because he's always afraid of what's going to happen Claire during all these conversations gives him a little pep talk which is kind of cool because it's the pep talk that he gave her many many issues ago which is everyone's afraid being afraid just gives you the chance to be brave it gives you the chance to fight back so I thought that was kind of cool that his own words got used back on him that he could see the impact he has on others and also that he also needs those words as well and all that leads him to realize what is going to make him happy. So he and Catwoman meet up at night in rain because it's Gotham. So of course it's got to be on a rooftop. Dark and stormy nighttime night. has to be. There's no other weather in Gotham. <laughs> <laughs> There's lightning strikes, nighttime and rain. And lots it's... of shadows. Yep. Lots <laughs> of shadows. So this is kind of cool because he takes off the cowl. So he's just Bruce and she takes off her you know, Catwoman mask, so she's just Selina in this scene. And they have a throwback to another conversation they had where they're talking about where they met. I think, Carissa, you liked this it issue the where they talked about it a lot. It was the boat. So he says, when I met you on the streets, and then she replies back, it was on a boat. So they call back to that. He explains that the diamond heist that she was engaged in, he kept the diamond because he knew he was going to need it one day. From the first moment he saw her, he knew he would need this later. So you get this really great scene where Batman, Bruce, is telling her that he's afraid and that he needs her and you get this shot of Bruce kneeling down in front of Selina holding out the diamond that she originally stole in a ring and proposing to her and I thought it was really really awesome because you get what happened to Batman in the whole Flashpoint universe they went back to where he met his father who told him not to be Batman anymore Bruce can't not be Batman so I think that's addressing that issue but he doesn't want to continue being the same that he was before that there's been a consequence for what happened I like that when comics actually change the character a little bit. And it's interesting, the bat and the cat have always had this stormy, contentious relationship here that's really tightly wound around each other in a lot of dysfunction and passion. So I'm really excited to see this. I thought the issue was great. I thought you got a lot of really sharp dialogue, really great insights into character, and the art is fantastic. Even with no superhero punching battles, it was still, I think, beautifully drawn and interesting. So what did you guys think of Batman 24? All these people are like, it's the most romantic issue ever. And I honestly think the one that before where they were talking you know it was the streets it was you know whatever i thought that was way way more romantic than this sure he actually proposed but i don't think this was like how it's being touted as the most romantic batman issue ever i was like i liked it don't get me wrong that is one of the things i'm a sucker for when it comes to batman comics their relationship i mean in particular but i liked what they alluded to better that issue better but i do like that they alluded to it at all i mean that was a cute turnaround 360 so that was good but it had a little bit too much for me of Gotham Girl, I'm just kind of like, okay. I can't stand her. Why? Why? Yeah, I'm just kind of annoyed about her. I'm just like, I'm done with that plot. Move along. Thanks. 
pretty much as soon as I saw it, and I opened it, and I was like, oh, shit. I was like, we're going to get this shit for, like, 20 pages. Yep. <laughs> Fuck. Not fans of Gotham Girl? Nope. Nope. Not at all. Her costume is terrible. <laughs> that is a very short skirt to be flying around that in. is a cheerleader skirt can't really this cheerleaders in general but it is like a cheerleader <laughs> outfit no it is a cheerleader skirt with the worst face mask helmet whatever half helmet and then like photoshop default old english like on it which you can barely read yeah it's not good i don't like it i thought well, it was cheesy <laughs> he said he wasn't happy as batman might as well go the full fucking way right <laughs> <laughs> well fuck it <laughs> Yeah. I'm not happy. Marriage will save this. Mm. Let's make myself completely miserable and get married. <laughs> he is the Batman. Misery is his lot in life. Oh, hey, so. this is what he's been missing right here. So very clever on the uh, part of the writers here and figuring out how you could make <laughs> Batman more miserable. more miserable other than... <laughs> not that miserable i would say complicated it's like my life is not complicated i just have an alter ego and i jump around and i run million yeah. dollar companies sure now i'm gonna get married to an arch villain and we'll see how it goes who is kind of a psychopath life is rough when you're rich as fuck and <laughs> go around fighting crime and you're a badass ninja warrior and then you're gonna go marry some hot cat burglar who because you're marrying her guaranteed she's gonna steal half your money yeah <laughs> He's just cutting oh. out the middleman and making it legal, you know? I'm not bitter. But in all seriousness, <laughs> the one thing I did like about this is there's not much action going on this in it of itself but there's some phenomenal artwork and you know the storytelling on this is really great because it's just really like there's some stories that come along where it really kind of gets at you and they do really like, dig into a character and provide some interesting insight especially with superheroes are such kind of like otherworldly characters it's like we don't often think about them in their human light and Batman is just a man and I thought that this was an interesting twist on that Tom King is really good at that that's Hell one of his yeah. strong points yes indeed so I think I like this maybe a little more than you guys did i would give this four and a half yeah i could fly i gave it four and a half it was the streets i'll give it three short skirts <laughs> christina's next cosplay <laughs> oh fuck no <laughs> i actually really like this so i'm gonna give it four and a half run batman run for your life <laughs> we've had gotham crime let's have some space crime Space crime! Rocket, number two, Marvel Comics, The Blue River Score, Nobody Runs Forever, written by Al Ewing, pencils and inks by Adam Gorham, and colors by Michael Garland. So Rocket and whatever those tech people, one half of those tech burglar crews, broke into the vault where they're trying to get the deed for his ex-otter girlfriend. They run into the other half of the team, and that's where the last issue ends. So we start up with that. They're battling, they're talking, and everyone's getting... Rocket's having his day in court because he got caught though he did send the deed out as a paper airplane to his or what was her name's otter yeah otter 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 the otter <laughs> So he feels like he did right. He saved the people. They're not going to get damned. But there was a funny part where his defense attorney's like, don't worry, we got the best thing. And it's like the daredevil <laughs> so... lizard frog version, space version of daredevil. <laughs> oh, that was so fucking funny. The Electra one. I died. I yes. died laughing. Her little sign. <laughs> don't fight ninjas. <laughs> It's funny, those lizard people, they have, normally they're blind and they can't see, but they can hear heartbeats and stuff so they can tell what people are feeling. And this one had an accident where a radioactive goo canister got splattered and he grew eyes. So his super thing is he can actually see, which is fucking hilarious. That was a really good part. So then Rocket's like, forget this, I'll defend myself because he sees that the jury is all otters. He thinks they're gonna understand what I did. They're not gonna damn me because I stopped the dam. Lots of dams in that sentence. <laughs> damn. And so he gets up and he gives this speech trying to be all impressive and how like I saved you and everything like that. And he's saying how he is guilty and that he has nothing to fear for his guilt because he did the right thing. And the judge is like, did you submit to these people that you helped the bad guys? It's revealed that he got swindled again. So really the deed he stole went to the corporation. He wasn't stealing from the corporation as he initially thought. And so it looks like Otta the Otter screwed him yet once again. And that's where the issue ends. 
<laughs> if they convict him and he's like all like tangled up because they want like the worst sentence and he's like you need earth cussing for this so yeah what do you guys think besides you know the, obviously the Murdoch part was pretty badass <laughs> I thought this was really great I think it has that kind of space caper almost like Ocean's Eleven kind of feel to it and then you get some really funny courtroom stuff the writing is just on point it's always funny I really really enjoyed this one the art's really good I was a big fan there's some good slapstick humor in this and I think that's where it's really fun it's just silly and inane and ridiculous and callbacks to other things in the Marvel universe that we all know and can get a good laugh out of some of the weird tech net people not super excited by them the otter thing is hilarious what cracked me up was the otter on the jury and the wife beater (laughs) I lost my shit I enjoyed that. I thought that was really funny. Otter, Otter, man. She's a bitch. She's a bitch. <laughs> Rocket is screw Ed. And he looks so sad when he realizes. He's like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, again? Yeah. I really like the way they draw him in this. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's what I was going to say is that the art, it's like a little rough around the edges, but it actually lends to it, I think, more than it detracts. It's fairly quick sketches, but it actually lends to, I think, more than anything that it's not like super detailed. I think it matches the pace of the story. The story is being told at a fast rate so yes. the art is at a fast rate i'm curious to see how rocket's gonna get out and i like to see that auto bitch get her comeuppance <laughs> i think this is good you get rocket doing exactly what rocket should be doing yep crime capers what he thinks are for sort of the greater good that end up blowing up in his face that's the essence of the character <laughs> and he will find a way out he always finds a way out he's smart can figure shit out or he'll build something to make it happen oh bitch you stole my shit <laughs> I will give it four and a half space fights get weird. I will give it four stop that plane. I'm going to give it four C-3PO's hiding in the jury. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Four books, four publishers. Go ahead, Rory. We've been covering Wildstorm, which reminds some of us of Wildcats, and which also, for those of us who know Image back in the 90s, brings us back to Youngblood number two. Image Comics, Youngblood Reborn, Chapter 2, Bad Rock Company, written by Chad Bowers, pencils and inks by Jim Toe. That guy's awesome. Colors by Juan Manuel Rodriguez. Now, I chose this just because we've had all these 90s reference comics, so I was like, hmm, I wonder what they're going to do with Youngblood. That was kind of interesting, because like the original 90s Youngblood was like this super team that's out in the open and they're publicizing them and they're doing all these government tasks and stuff. It's like they're like really like publicized and out in the public eye. Superheroes the way they would be in real life. I thought this was interesting because as they're going through these new set of characters trying to reform Youngbloods, they're kind of making fun of the whole genre. <laughs> what happens is now I haven't read Youngbloods number one yet, so I'm jumping into this into the deep end of the pool here. But we start off with one of the characters is standing in front of his house. It's like some guy who's started doing a superhero gig and he's been posting himself on YouTube as, oh, being like a superhero but not like trying to be like your typical hidden superhero. He's trying to be out in the open. And so the girl has came to find him because she's looking for a friend of hers. They have this long conversation about how they feel about superheroes with the previous Youngbloods essentially. And they pull out a picture with anybody who was familiar with the old school ones, Sentinel from the 90s comics. And he talks about how I love that guy. I'm a huge fan of him. I wrote blog posts about him and had his trading cards and I was into him because he was black and I was black so it was like it was awesome to see the superhero that was out there being badass then it turns out that he's a murderer he made this big blog post about heroes and how you shouldn't idolize them and whatnot I liked that angle that they were taking with that because I think it mimics kind of what superheroes would mimic if they were real which is sports stars you know how many people love all kinds of different baseball stars and basketball stars and stuff like that and then they find out that they do something bad and it's like it crushes their hopes and dreams they flash forward to delante is in the streets and he's being mentally affected by something and then shaft who is he's the leader of the old school young bloods he's there to talk with him and whatever is affecting his mind is making him see shaft as this weird plant monster that's trying to attack him and shit so they get into this fight and shaft is way more badass than he is the kid's got his own super suit that he's built and his own iron man suit and then shaft's just like a badass martial artist and 
guy with a bow and arrow. And so he's trying to talk him out of blasting away at him because he's like, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want anybody to get hurt. Calm the fuck down. And then another mind-infected superhero shows up. This big, huge fucking fight. Shaft also fires off an arrow that has this chemical that helps clear their mind up. And they have appearances by various members of Youngblood throughout here. There's not really much dig on to with this one issue. Just talk about how you guys can't call yourself Youngbloods because that name's trademarked. I had a really hard time reading this. Mm, me too. <laughs> me too. I felt like this was a true return to Image's roots, which was really good art and really shitty writing together in one package. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, this was so hard to read. And then I was like, what the fuck, Shaft? I was like, I don't see a black guy in here. What the fuck? And then I was like, who's the weird looking thing that looks like Thing? I think if you hadn't read any Youngblood... Here's the shitty thing about this, is that in order to actually understand what the fuck's going on, you have to have read the original 1990s Youngblood and still remember it. Yeah, no. I did, and so I knew who these characters were, and I don't remember being as lame as they are. Like, <laughs> Yeah, but how old were you when they came out? Oh, I was like 16, 17. Yeah, those were probably like awesome when you were 16, and I bet mm-hmm. these yeah, would be awesome if you were 16. You realize how bad of taste you have when you're a teenager, yes. <laughs> when you read them as an adult. <laughs> It's true. It's a bad facsimile of it anyway, but the 90s were lame. I can't say too much bad shit about the art. That's pretty decent, but this is confusing as shit, and it yes. gives me nothing to care about. Yep. Some of the art's pretty good, actually. Some of it's pretty good. I did the artwork, and... I'd have to say with this, because it's issue number two, who knows how much of this shit was explained in issue number one. I I don't know. You should be able to pick up any issue of a series and be able to follow what's going on. Comics are written in a serial form, so they need to do that to be successful. And sometimes issues come out months apart. This was written as nostalgia for people who are mine and Ryan's age that read these comics and still remember them. And it's like a trip back to your heyday. And it's not that great of one. Yeah, I was just, can I get through this? I don't get it. I don't. Took me three times trying to get through this to Ooh, finish it. Oh, me too. Exactly three times. <laughs> Damn. I mean, I did it because we got to talk about it. But if we didn't have right. to, I probably would have just, I wouldn't have. You know, they had an interesting point in there, an interesting angle that they were taking. Unless you know the characters and stuff like that. And you're you're just really a big Young Bloods fan. This is just going to fucking confuse your ass. Seriously, that is a rip off of the thing, right? I mean, look at this fucking Oh, face. yeah. Well, that's what happened Image in the 90s when they were first founded. Is it basically was a bunch of pissed off Marvel artists a lot of it has to do with royalties and stuff like that and just people getting sidelined kind of like took things by storm all the people who formed image were all artists they weren't writers so yes. image originally had and i think this is almost flipped with image they had a really strong emphasis on the art todd mcfarlane was a superstar spider-man artist then he went on and made spawn which still pretty fucking awesome even now looking yeah. back on it like the yes. current stuff i couldn't give two shits about but old spawn still cool but that's one of the, really the only ones that can claim that i think not very many of them stood the test of time really and it sure as hell ain't worth making a new one (laughs) (laughs) you're like nope all right let's rate this up this only has value pretty much if you were a young blood fan from the old days and you want to see a new young blood team and you still remember everything that went on because a lot of it i had to look back up and remind myself the artwork does save it i did like the artwork so i'm going to give it two read that on the back of his trading card i will also give it a two again largely because of the art i'll give it two created by rob life it's all you <laughs> <know>. <laughs> yeah i will give it two shafts because there are two shafts. I'm going to do two and a half because I want to do like the middle of the road of the art scoring because I feel like if you're a fan, this might be for you and I really like the artwork, but for me, it was not for me. Two and a half, sincerely President Die Hard. So, back to the Marvel Comics world, Doctor Strange. Issue number 20, Marvel Comics, The Weird, The Weirder, and The Weirdest. Written by Jason Aaron, pencils by Chris Bacalo, inks by Alve. God damn, really, Ryan? <laughs> Welcome back, Christina. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> I swear to God, you're doing this on purpose. John Livesay, Tim Townsend, Jamie Mendoza, Victor Olabzaba, and Kevin Nolan. Colors by Kevin Nolan. God damn, really? Mother it takes a village, fucker. so I think I say it every time. All that black, they. But this is the last time we're going to get this creative team. And issue 21 came out last week. So, yeah. it's strange. 
And they talk about yes, that, Yes, they do. So. I've hadn't read a bunch of the Doctor Strange. I've missed a couple of them. I have them. I just haven't read them yet. But it doesn't fucking matter because Jason Aaron is awesome. And everything he does, it still stands alone, which some of the last book that we read doesn't stand alone. This still can stand alone, which Agree. I love, love, love. I love how he writes this. Literally, in the first like couple of pages, you get recalls to things that have happened. So if you haven't been able to catch up, you'll be like, okay, I've read a couple issues. I got this. No worries here, which is awesome. It's yet again, he's on a quest to keep gathering all of every magical item that is still left in this world. I like this one in particular because he transforms himself into a cute little beagle, the <laughs> sassiest little beagle that that has ever existed that can shoot magic out of his tail <laughs> he works for werewolf warlocks that made me so freaking happy it was awesome i absolutely adore this one this is a weird transition zelma has been his librarian taking care of the magical books and all the other magical stuff and we get to actually see her be strong it's not that she hasn't been before but this is like her story this is like her origin story almost which i thought was kind of cool i mean she takes dr strange actually after he transforms out of being a dog. So being the fact this this kind of remind me of maybe Zelda's origin story. She is obviously the getaway car for him trying to steal this magic wand from this crazy weird auction group. He gets shot with some sort of, I don't even know if it's like a laser or whatever it was, but that broke the, obviously the spell that he was the beagle and runs into this chicks and kisses her for whatever reason, which, you know, whatever. He jumps out the window. Zelma's there waiting for him. He then attempts to try to see whatever the hell this wand does and that kind of shoots them into the sky. So now they're a flying motorcycle going to, of all places, Weird World. <laughs> As they're going to Weird World, he gets shot by a poison arrow from Morgan Le Fay's, one of her Omega men, gets shot. So he falls ill and it's like up to her to protect him and take care of him. He is not doing well. She's trying to make sure he's okay. She somehow finds food, take care of the book, take care of him. And there's obviously these magma men that are trying to find him because they know he's been shot. So he's either dead or still hanging on. This is something awesome librarians they will die by the book and I love that she, what she has she's, I'm going to use what I have and she problem solves and uses the book uses the wand and protects him and in doing so she actually has caused transference spell. So she takes what he has, the poison in him, and apparently some other things as well. He's now fine, but with that spell, she gets sick. But Doctor Strange kind of works out the fact that she was absorbing the magic from Weird World, and that was what kept her okay. And then she she was in a, in a coma like how he was, and then wakes up. This is really sad because she wakes up and she seems to be fine, and everything's okay, and Wong leaves. It's kind of a sad story that he's leaving my thought is that he's leaving because he now knows that Doctor Strange will be okay because he has now Zelma who also has magical powers and is now his apprentice and what's funny is one of the images on here that two page image was how her seeing the world now that how he sees it reminded me exactly of Delirium because uh. of all the fish that whole two pager looked a lot like that to me I think Wong also had to confront his life almost ending and that that has caused these changes in him too yeah. That he almost died at the hands of misery and got taken over and all of that and probably had to ask himself, what would my life have meant? So he's on the road. Yeah, why am I Fuck doing this? this shit. Pretty much. <laughs> I'm done. Pretty much. <laughs> so I think this is kind of neat to see her now become an apprentice and see what her magical powers are. He's got a sidekick, another sidekick, because now Wong is gone. I enjoy this one a lot. What do you guys think? Oh, I'm sorry to see him go. Yeah. This combination of Jason Aaron and Chris Bacalo is just fucking amazing. I know. The amazing storytelling, both with words and with images. The images are so good. Yeah, and honestly, I'd have to kick somebody in the shins if they ever told me that they weren't digging this series. <laughs> I agree. I will karate chop you. Yeah. <laughs> Sweep the leg. <laughs> Sweep the leg. I recently did the Reddit gift exchange for comics and the person I sent them that I got matched with, I sent them the first trade nice. of this run. That's so good. <laughs> well, that and Runaway. Shocker. <laughs> yeah, it's just fucking amazing. If there's anything more you can ask for, I don't know what the fuck it is. It just makes me so happy to read it. Yes, me too. 
I get excited every it's single like comfort time. Comfort food. It's like there's all this other shit, and you read, and you're like, uh, nah. and then you're like, oh, it's so precious. I love it. This has been a fantastic run from them. I think one of the best. I think this will go down in comics history as one of the better comic runs. People will be reading this one for a long time. Yeah. The good news is that the next team we got kind of a preview with number twenty one is also really good too. So it's in good hands. Mm-hmm. I still will always miss Jason Aaron's run. But yes. I think we're going to be okay, guys. I like seeing Zelma throw up when she cast her first spell. That was one of the other things that I liked. Granted, you could read this without reading anything else. But if you read everything else, there's so many nods to all the previous things in here. The eating the weird foods, the puking without puking, all of that stuff. I thought was really, really cool. I mean, I'll still go back and read the <laughs> Devil's Bacon one. I had it saved because I love that issue so much. Now that we've kind of gone through all of it, I want to go back and reread all of it from the beginning to the end. Well, I really want there to be a nice hardcover oh you could do a hardcover with 20 issues in it very easily so get on that ship oh i love it so much with like the just any of the little sketches and stuff like that or little handwritten notes and jason aaron's notes or something i would love to see that we would like that (laughs) take our money please (laughs) yes all of the monies for you i love the cover on this one was great too because it did have all the tropes right in there too i feel like this was quintessentially jason aaron and chris bacalo their work i think this represents they're run really well yeah i don't feel like they were rushed out i don't feel like they had to wrap things up in any way like they were given time to breathe and tell the story and wrap it up well agreed everybody's got to go out sometime they went out really well Mm -hmm. this was almost my pick of the week i was very very close it was a tough call i love it so much so i'm going to give it four and three eighths (laughs) magical tales (laughs) that shoot magic (laughs) because <laughs> that got me good <laughs> like that a lot <laughs> he was so cute he was the sassiest cutest little beagle ever <laughs> i totally agree i gave it five werewolf warlocks i'm gonna give it five nasty ass bowls of weird tentacle goulash i will give it four and a half the art of puking without puking i love that callback to it so good. All right. Take us back to DC. All right. Up, up, and away. Over to Superman number 24 from DC Comics. Black Dawn, part five. Written by Patrick Leeson and Peter J. Tomasi. Pencils by Doug Menke and Patrick Leeson. Inks by Jamie Mendoza, Mick Gray, Joel Prado, and Doug Menke. Colors by Will Quintana and John Kaus. So this is the continuing story of, we find out it's Manchester Black, who is fucking with Superman and his new home, and with John. So for those of you who may not remember the elite there was a whole justice league versus the elite a while ago so i don't want to say quite 10 years ago but a long time ago they had justice league versus the elite manchester black was part of the elite the elite were superheroes who killed people just saying that now that that's not me i am not that demographic (laughs) (laughs) i'm just trying to explain who manchester black is because i get the sense when you're reading this that you're supposed to know who he is and they maybe if you don't haven't read that you may not know who he is and why super recognizes him and what he's doing so the whole thing with this was that kind of a commentary on how dark comics had gotten and that their people were saying that superman and those type of characters were irrelevant and this was their argument against that that they will always be relevant that killing people like the punisher or spawn or those type of characters is not heroic that that is villainous and that was their kind of their battle that they had so manchester black has returned and has found that john could be even stronger than superman if he was raised the right way so he set out to show him what happens when you don't kill villains when you let them survive. Which is funny that he doesn't use himself as the example because he doesn't see himself as a villain. But there's all these monsters that he creates that Superman won't kill. And you get kind of the origin story here of the old grandpa on the farm that we've made a bunch of Wilfred Grimley jokes about. (laughs) You find out that he and his daughter were aliens on another planet that was getting wiped out and Manchester Black showed up and saved them and killed all the invaders and they've been living in this town along with a bunch of other aliens that he's saved trying to show John kind of the lessons of the world to prepare him for it. I liked his little uh, telekinetic finger pistol that he did to kill one of the guys. Manchester Black is an extremely powerful telepath and telekinetic. He's, I would say, kind of like DC's version maybe of like Jean Grey in terms of power that he has. So he's very, very powerful. His telekinetic punches are strong enough to fight Superman when you just cut off Superman's wife's legs and are threatening his son. So Superman ain't holding back shit. He actually says, like, I could kill you. And then Manchester Black has a line where he's like, we both know that's not true. If that was true, we'd be standing over my grave right now. And we're (laughs) not. So cut the bullshit. 
So in this, John gets sort of possessed by this black ooze that's been in the milk before and stuff. And his eyes turn black and start having this like ooze leak out of them. It's really creepy, actually. And he goes to fight his father. That's kind of the end panel that you get. And before that, Superman busts out all the people that they've captured. So it's Frankenstein, the Bride of Frankenstein, Batman. And they're all now going to, you're going to have a face-off of this version of the Justice League against the new version of the Elite with John kind of literally caught in the middle of the fight, both physically in the middle of the fight and morally at this balance between the two. Because in the last issue, Lois Lane got fucked up. Her legs literally got cut off in front of her son. She's crippled. It's really, really bad. So it'll be interesting to see, and of course they will be able to, but it'll be interesting to see if they're able to pull him back from that precipice or if he becomes more like Red Hood, like maybe becomes like a Superman version of the Red Hood. I don't know what's going to happen with it. I'm very interested to find out. I like this. I think it gives you an argument for why Superman matters. This is exciting. It's got action. It's got some creepy shit. It's got good DC history in it. I think if you don't maybe know the DC history, I think it's still, you can still follow what's going on. But I know you guys probably don't know that part of DC history, so I'd be interested in hearing what you guys thought of the issue. Why you gotta kill the dog? What a fucking asshole! That's how you know he's a super villain. He killed a fucking dog. Fucker. I did like where he sicked crypto on him. I thought that was pretty cool. Yes, I did think that was cool. Actually, I didn't know the history, but I don't think you have to, because you see he's a horrible, horrible person. I did actually enjoy this. I thought it was kind of a neat story, like you're turning your own son on on him which is super fucked up <laughs> it was interesting i was actually pleasantly surprised because you know how i feel about superman <laughs> i think this patrick leeson and peter j tomasi run particularly peter j tomasi run on superman and super sons is exactly what i like about superman it was enjoyable the artwork's really good i actually like the artwork in the beginning a little bit more than the end i don't know why it like changed because i think it was one was like flashback i've been honest about this the whole way is that i've really hated this run of superman but this is the one where they finally turned the fucking page for me i really like this one i thought it was really good the artwork is amazing the story storytelling is fucking great i think having manchester black in here it was just just overall it's like yeah oh you want to fucking hate him so bad <laughs> yeah it's just fucking great thought that this one really got me whereas the rest of this run has not really done much for me this one just really got to me i was like yeah let's fucking do this right because you can see the temptation for Superman yeah absolutely here. like he has a reason mm -hmm. to kill him yeah he's pretty much given him every reason yeah <laughs> Temptation that you're not tempted by isn't temptation. Yeah. If mm -hmm. it's like, oh, you stole my ice cream yeah. cone and Superman decides not to kill the guy, that's not really much of a decision, you know? But when you cut off my wife's legs in front of uh -huh. my child, have brainwashed my child and sent him to the death to fight me, I've got reasons to kill you. Yeah, that's lots of reasons. He doesn't need any more reasons. He's got all the reasons. <laughs> what do you think of it, Carissa? Unlike Rory, I do like the ones that have John in them. This didn't have much of the John that we're used to, obviously, in it. It's just messed up. It's like, it just is really messed up. So in that way, you're like, damn. Most people don't expect to put down a Superman comic and go, damn, that was fucked up. Yeah. You know, that's not usually what you yeah. think you're going to get. That's just all not good. <laughs> that guy sucks. I think in the end, I will give this four Sikkim Crypto. I will give it three and three quarters Crypto Skeleton. Then give it three and a half Goldie, which is the one. That is that skeleton. All right, my turn. All new Guardians of the Galaxy number three, Marvel Comics, Includier, written by Gary Duggan and art by Fraser Irving. I'm just going to start off with this. The artwork is not what you expect. Like you see the title page, you're like, oh, it's very movie 80s neon. Woohoo, look at those colors. But the artwork is like super artsy, I guess is a good word. It doesn't even look like a comic book. It's very artsy and very drab in color tone. It's just really not what you would expect from a Guardians comic. It looks really cool though. The opening page is this weird Thanos sinister kind of dreamscape looking thing. It's pretty cool looking. This is more of a Gamora issue than it is a Guardians issue. Yes. Just letting you guys know. I almost wish this is what the Gamora comic would have been more like than the actual Gamora one. The little Gamora one is was okay. I know Rory and me have covered it both at some one time or another, but I like this story better than that one, I think. It's a little bit of her backstory and about what Thanos did to her and, and Adam Warlock sucking her into the Soul Stone. And it's like this weird dreamscape where she's in this world, this dark red world, and she's being led by an old woman. And I don't think I'm the only one. I pretty much guessed from the get-go who that woman was. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm like, I don't think I'm that clever and they didn't really try to hide it, but and the old woman's like, I just show you something. Will you follow me? There's people in the distance and they're just like in 
this desolate. They could be on Mars for all you know. It's just nothing. And they're talking. The old woman is just being very vague. They come upon Warlock. They're fighting themselves. The old woman is saying they all have their own selves in this world. And that's where you get to kind of reveal that the old woman who's leading her is actually an old version of Gamora. And they're saying you might have escaped the Soul Stone realm. But it always holds on to a bit of your soul. And you're never fully you until you've escaped. And there's something in that world that kind of goes after people there. They say at one point, you know, there are things that are worse here than beyond our sight. You let that thing pass over you and hide. It's the Elder Gods. Very Cthulhu-like. It's kind of hard to explain because it's basically just a lot of walking and it's all talking. It's very slow, but it's kind of insightful. It's one of those more comic books that are a little bit more insightful read. Because then you see Gamora like wake up. They're back talking to the heist that we originally started the series with where they had the big Galactus mech. That was her dreamscape and she needs to realize that she has to get that piece of herself back. And she kind of mentions it and Rocket's like, yeah, yeah. That's something we could Rocket and Groot are kind of laughing at her. It's a foreshadow that after they've done this Grandmaster task that they kind of been tricked into that she has to go and deal with that, which means we're going to get some Adam, more of that coming into the Guardians universe that will be nice to see because we haven't seen any Warlock in there for a while. They're trying to match the movie. Yeah, I think so. That's what they're going for. <laughs> well, the cartoon series for kids has already done that. Him and Titus have been in the last few episodes. I really did not like this issue at all. I had a feeling that was the case. I think it was poorly written. It was confusing. The art was muddy and also confusing. It was pointless and lacked insight. I did not like it. I don't think the story was great. I do like the art. It almost was like I would have rather just had no words on the art. Just actually showing the art. Because I thought the art was very cool. Very interestingly done. It's more like something you would see in an art exhibit than a comic book. The whole issue to me is this like very artsy. Kind of like yeah. surreal art. One of those weird art house pieces, you know. Yeah. I don't want to say that the art is poorly done. It's just a poor choice for comics, I think. It does not look a comic book at all. To me, it does not work for the comic format. There's kind of like some of those weird Sandman issues too, but Sandman still would go back to the regular look and feel. What'd you think about it, Rory? I thought it was all right. I thought that the artwork, I actually kind of liked it in a way. Every once in a while, it's nice to take a breather. It's like, if you're eating ice cream all day, it's like, eventually you're gonna get tired of ice cream and maybe a slice of pizza might help out. Rory's Guide to Balanced Eating. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit different, but I dug it. Breath of Fresh Air. I did like how they did Thanos in this. The Thanos was awesome. The Thanos is awesome, and I really liked Rocket, too. I'm gonna give three and a half soul stones. I will give it two. It's a matter of life and death. I'm gonna give two and a half. You're confused, Gamora. I'm gonna give it two and a half. I am Groot. Champion on so we got Champions number nine, Marvel Comics, written by Mark Wade, pencils by Umberto Ramos, inks by Victor Olaplaza, colors by Edgar Delgado. So, the Champions, we're back again. I thought this was cool. They introduced this new character in here by the name of Red Locust. From the Brotherhood. Viv's out cruising around, and she's catching a taxi ride from the airport. We thought it was cool seeing Viv use her little uh, illusion thing. She made herself into a teenage chick. So she's talking with the guy who's driving the taxi he's got like a turban on his head and stuff like that so he's like oh, i understand that people are kind of like confused by appearance so all of a sudden out of nowhere this chicken like power armor comes jumping over and busts up the hood of his cab and so viv goes chasing after this girl and she chases down this dude that's like running through an alley <laughs> and she's like oh i'm just telling you that your mother misses you and come home that's when she introduces herself and she's like trying to go through her whole superhero soliloquy <laughs> The guy, like, gets freaked out and maces her, and Viv shows up, like, right in time to see that, so she just slams him on the ground, and then he says that he's got, like, this chip in his leg, and if he doesn't get the supplies for his boss, well, then it's gonna fucking blow his leg off. So it draws them both into this, and so they show up in, like, this meth lab, and Viv takes a look and to try and help her plan out her attack, and then Red Locust is kind of, like, impulsive, so she just jumps through, and they start, like, whooping ass, and the guy who's like the head bad guy the Walter White of this he's like yo I'm gonna blow everybody up and they're like no cause that would blow you up too because there's all this meth in here they go through and they like bust up this crime ring and Red Locust tries to pay the guy for the car with some of the drug money they recover and Viv's like oh that's not exactly ethical and so she goes tell her I'll buy you lunch to hear your story it's like a two part story they go and they have lunch which it's hella funny cause she's got Pozole for Viv, but if you look in the bowls, that is not what fucking pasole looks like, motherfuckers. <laughs> it's called a salad, bitch.
bitch. Yeah, that's weird. That kind of bothered me because I'm like, that's not pozole. It's like a meat and hominy dish for those of you who aren't familiar with it. It's hella good. <laughs> if you're going to mention the pozole, well, then drop pozole. If you can't drop pozole, don't bring it up. <laughs> All this has done is made me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways she talks about the history of the red locust and so it turns out that, like there's this brotherhood goes all the way back to the aztecs and they would protect nomad tribes and stuff like that and vulnerable travelers and so this has been like passed down generation to generation and then eventually somebody built some armor as like a symbol of their cause and so that's also been like the other thing is like they passed down this armor and it's kind of like been modified and modified throughout the generation it was supposed to be passed down to firstborn sons but her mother died in childbirth so there was no son to be had and so her dad had no choice but to get her which was agreed upon by their brotherhood council so she starts learning about about power armor hydraulic she gives it super strength and so she does all like these crazy things to make it badass so she's talking about how this is her tradition and people locals know how to contact the red locust through her church and so she's talking about all this stuff and while this sitting there and she's thinking about her family her brother and her mom are now dead and her dad is is nowhere around i thought it was a cute scene where she's asking vision they're at an ice cream truck and she's like what if mother objects to nourishing ourselves between meals and he's like shh this is father daughter time i thought that was super cute it ends with viv giving her phone number and saying that she can't really like invite her to the champions necessarily but she obviously follows by like the good ideals of the champions so that kind of automatically makes her but she's going to call her back and and introduce her to the rest of the champions. And then she goes back to see her dad. So I thought it was a cute one. I love Viv. This new character, Red Locust, she seems really cool. I thought the cover was pretty cool, the way that all the other champions are kind of grayed out and Viv's in color, so you know it's going to be her story. I did not really like this new character very much, but the artwork's fine. The story is kind of interesting. I just find her very annoying. I almost feel like they're trying to do a version of the Wasp <laughs> with her. Mm -hmm. mm. I don't know if you guys have been reading the Wasp, but she's very much like that character. She's way more impulsive so i was not a big fan but that's just personal i kind of liked it i thought it was interesting i like the history of the generations passed down kind of like the black panther thing where it's like the family it gets passed down generation generation and they finally come to an issue where there's no longer a, a male who can take the role and so there's now a female who has now improved the suit and that was kind of cool i don't see this being like a huge character but it was kind of a neat little story i really liked it viv is one of my favorite characters in the champion so it's really cute to see her go out i didn't mind the new character i think Think she's supposed to be kind of peppy and impulsive and perky in a way. I really did like the mother praying scene at the very beginning. The close-up of her kissing like the little charm and everything like that. That was a really nice touch. Also the scene where they're giving Cyclops a hard time for being old because he watched Seinfeld. That part was really that was funny. Hilarious. <laughs> You know, I really like this. I like the introduction of the new character. And of course, I always love a Viv story. So I'm going to give it four. <laughs> That's not Pozole. I'll give it three and three quarters. Remember the cactus juice. I will give it two and a half. Lunch is on me. I will give it three and a quarter. Oh, I like Seinfeld. <laughs> so Darth Vader, issue number one, Marvel Comics, The Chosen Run, written by Charles Soleil, pencils by Giuseppe Cam Coley, inks by Cam Smith, colors by David Curiel. So, if you enjoy the first three episodes, what we call the prequels, you'll love this. <laughs> I'm glad that they did not start off with this. I'm glad we got the Darth Vader. Dr. Oh. Afra that we got. Yes. Can't believe they started off with like the lamest scene in all of Star Wars. This hurts my soul as a Star Wars fan. Yeah, why don't you just throw some fucking Jar Jar I really in didn't want this. I was expecting like just regular Darth Vader. I was not expecting this to go back to exactly after episode three because that's exactly what this is, is where he wakes up and we get the no. Yeah. It feels really confusing to call it the same thing. The last run of Darth Vader was amazing. This is mediocre at best. Yeah. Pray I'm going to recommend it to someone and they're going to go pick it up and they're going to grab this instead. And they'll be like, Carissa, you have terrible taste. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> I do recommend the Vader run with Dr. Afra like all the time. Right. It's oh, so, yeah. so good. Bad this run. is not what I wanted to see at all. This is still the Vader as a petulant douche and Palpatine. He looks fucking terrible. Looks terrible. He looks really weird. Yes, it's looks really horrible. awkward. He looks like a fucking dollar store Muppet that got left out in the sun. It's terrible. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> 
I, I I wish I could say good things about this. I don't think it's such a bad idea to set this story where they chose to set it because that's an unexplored part that is could be very interesting. This is just not very... Just name it Vader the Beginning or something then. Dark Origins or no. Don't buy this. I don't... Just say no. You could have said it like five seconds after the whole no scene and that would have made it a lot better. But then we won't know that the crystals bleed and feel... I don't care. I don't fucking care. The whole story about this is why their lightsabers are red. That's all this is about. This feels like someone who writes like emo poetry, also <laughs> like Star Wars, and decided to write about why Sith lightsabers are red. <laughs> How does anybody else feel about that whole thing? Because I thought that was the lamest freaking I don't like explanation it. of, oh, well, we take it from another you Jedi, and then you put all your hate into it, and it makes it red, because it makes it bleed. Oh, that's, that's the stupidest like fucking explanation of why they're red. It's because it's a different <laughs> crystal, you stupid fucks. The Sith Kyber crystal, the little boxes that they use in the cartoon series, those are red too, and I don't see them bleeding. It's a red fucking crystal. Yeah. Freaking different crystal. We know this. Don't fuck with our shit. The shining light in this is actually the last the little short story. That was the best part of this. Oh, Darth Vader, Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> it was so adorable. Chris Eliopoulos and Jordi Belair, who we all love. A much know better team. And that was hilarious, and it was cute. You got death, but it was like cute death. I just love it the little droid drags the bodies off, and he comes right, come, runs right back. So yes, that was the cute part of this. I would have preferred the whole issue <laughs> to have been him and Slapsticky Robots. I feel like when we got the first Star Wars comic and the first Darth Vader comic, they didn't just rely on the name to sell them. They put actual creative teams behind it. They were really talented and put out really great books. And here they're just like, fuck it, Darth Vader will sell. Put anybody on it and do anything you want. Charles Soleil is good, but this just is not, I don't like it. I don't like this. <laughs> I was so disappointed because... We ready to rate this one up? I'm only rating the second story. I would rate the second story three and a half bleep bloop. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think I have to review both as a whole. So the first half is not that good. The second half is pretty amusing. I think when it comes down to it, you get like a two and a half. Embrace the power of the dark side. Yeah. I'm giving it mid-range because it's Star Wars, but it's two and a half. Go read Dr. Afra instead. <laughs> the second story was cute enough. It was good. It was enjoyable. Not really enough to justify this piece of shit, though. I'm gonna give it one and a half. I grow tired of your incompetence. Iceman! Okay, so we got Iceman number one, Marvel Comics, written by Cena Grace, pencils and inks by Alessandro Vitti, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. So we have old Iceman starting off, and he's looking for himself a date. So he is on there making his grinder profile. Yep. That's exactly what it is. So he's going through and he's starting to describe himself and how, oh, I'm an X-Man, one of the originals, and there's another one. And so he's talking about the younger Iceman being there. Dad jokes abound. They're like fighting each other and stuff. <laughs> yeah, dad jokes abound. Then like the younger Iceman's going on a date. Older Iceman gets a text from mom and it turns out that his dad is in the hospital. So he runs over there. You can basically tell right off the bat that there's two things going Going on here is that his parents aren't comfortable with the fact that he's gay if they're even aware. I get the feeling he hasn't told them he's gay. And they're not comfortable with the fact that he's a mute. Yeah. Uh, that's what I'm getting to, but it's hard to tell. I, I don't know. Kind of hiding it from it, but it's like you always have the story where it's like you always have that family member who just like refuses to acknowledge everything. Dad's in the hospital and it's nothing like super serious. You know, he's kind of like bummed. Tell that it bothers him that they don't accept him for anything that he is. And then all of a sudden some lady breaks the tension and comes running through and all of a sudden there's a purifier running down chasing this mutant that's running through the middle of the hospital so Iceman steps out and fights him but he's got like some suit that's immune to ice so he's like a decoy to get him to come after an ice decoy and then he like punches a guy in the face and shit. The mutant that he saves has some lame power where she spits in her hand and it turns into like a shiv or something like that. She's like a 3D printer <laughs> that's like her power. Her power is super lame and gross but i do like that she acknowledges that it's super lame and gross that oh, she shit. doesn't yeah. like the other lame marvel heroes who are mm -hmm. like my ability to talk to canadian keese is gonna win the day it's like no it's fucking not <laughs> 
Nope. She's yeah. all, I got the shittiest mutant power you can roll on the table. <laughs> it was cool that Iceman's like, hey, when I first started off, I was like, all I could do is throw slushies at people. I mean, at least he's like, oh, hey, your power is lame, but later on it might not be so lame. Stay hydrated. That's really the key to your power. <laughs> then it ends up with him going back to the whole describe yourself in 500 words or less, and he like deletes it, everything that he'd written. It's like aggrandizing himself and puts in like a little emoji character. I don't know how I feel about this one. I like the fact that they're addressing Iceman being gay and how difficult that is with the parents and they're mixing it in with the mutant thing, but I really just found most of this issue fairly boring. I don't know. I felt like they could have done more with it. I think they had the right ideas. Like, they knew what notes to hit for him. They just weren't actually able to do it very well. It was very boring. They identified exactly what they needed to do with this character, but their execution on it was less than... Less than perfect. There was some good stuff in there, but the middle part is kind of where it got... I don't know, the fighting and stuff like that was... Went on a little too long, yeah. We didn't need, like, six panels of that. That could have been a little And I mean, there are... There are moments that are done pretty well, like the conversation about her powers being lame and him encouraging her. That's a good little bit of writing right there. You get the tone with the parents being correct, but it's, again, kind of too long. Mm-hmm. The idea of having him making a grinder profile is a good way to show you some things about the characters, but it feels like this they needed like one more pass at this. A little editing. Overall, I thought it was kind of boring. I think there were some parts that were done well. I was just not really impressed by it. It was actually one of the X-Men books that I actually kind of liked, and I don't like X-Men. So that's saying a lot for me. The artwork's all right. There's a little bit of inconsistency. The story is not great. It's not horrible. They had the right ideas. They just executed them wrong. So I'm going to give this two spitter girls. I gave it two and a half spit shivs. I will give it two and a half single not stirred. So those were the books we read this week. You can find all kinds of nerd shenanigans, including our other podcast, Cut the Cord at fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music. On SoundCloud. And on Podcast Addict. Be sure to rate. Review. Subscribe. Be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading nerds.